All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Anna Yukiko Bickenbach. I'm the program and event manager here at German Tech. If you want to know more about what we do at German Tech, go ahead and visit our webpage, www.german.tech. Uh, but this is the World Changes in Tech event platform that we have. And I'm very happy to welcome to our digital stage three wonderful speakers. I'm very happy that you can make it. Hello, Lutz. Glad you could make it too. <laughs> But I will go ahead and introduce you to our panelists. I'd like to welcome Liana Schlicht, head of legal from Wacken. It's the world's largest heavy metal festival. Welcome, Lutz. And we have managing director of Wildcat PR, Kathleen Aida. It's a creative agency for culture and music, which she will also tell us more about. Welcome. Ah. And... Our latest edition, Lutz, thank you. Great you could make it. It's a spokesman for Club Commission Berlin and also the initiator of United We Stream. So Lutz, welcome to the panel. Hi. Welcome to the World Changers in Tech podcast, where we bring you the most exciting, passionate, impact-driven tech entrepreneurs and actors changing the world one tech at a time. Our episodes foster the sustainable development goals to inspire, build, and grow a sustainable future. So get to know your SDGs and World Changers in Tech. My name is Anna Yukiko Bickenbach, and let's get on to today's episode. And obviously we know that the music industry has had a very hard hit. It's not just all the various stakeholders, but even uh, let's say the normal George and Sandra walking on the streets that are not able to partake in many of uh, these activities. Um, so it was very important for us to be able to address uh, these questions as to what's going on in the industry right now, especially with COVID, and what opportunities might there be in terms of using technology, um, so in general. But what I would like to ask first is, before Corona happened, what were your guys' experience and what was, like, what was your status quo with tech before Corona? for the organization that you're representing. Maybe we can start with Lianda and then go to Kat and then Lutz. Sure, um, well, thank you for the question. Um, our experiences, well, we're very interested in, in all sorts of technology. Um, I don't know if you've seen that at the, at the event, the Bakken 2020 and uh, 2019 and 18 editions, we had a huge gaming area, actually the largest uh, German ESL arena that was not in a stadium. So um, we've looked into very various fields that we find very interesting. Um, technology will be the game changer, and I think we all know this. Um, even though we're rock and roll and we do things differently than most other promoters, uh, we're very interested in, in what, the, what the, the industry and the technology industry has to say and has to, does, actually does. We've been to various trade shows. We've, we're looking at startups coming up. We, we keep a very close relationship to young, you know, businesses, entrepreneurs. Um, I've met Kat actually a couple of seven, uh, three years ago, I think it was in 2017 at the Caragen Music and Tech Conference in, in, in Salzburg. It was on, a, on her panel actually uh, talking about data protection and, and, and data usage and, and stuff like that. So it's something we've been very interested in even though we understand it's very difficult to implement into a very uh, analog world, actually. And I think if we're looking at the digital world and tech, 
um, a lot of people go to festivals and go to concerts to actually be not in a digital surrounding, not be on Instagram and not be in the social medias, uh, what we have, you know, what we're consuming all day long. Um, and still there is, there is an area where, where we, you know, both can come together and actually make it, make it, make it even, even a better experience and a better product. And, and, and even, you know, for younger artists that we, you know, have to keep in mind, that's the content, that's the content we're all using. And, and, and that's so important. And to give them a, in, in times like these, to give them a stage and something to do um, and, and tech helps. And I guess we'll come, come to this later on, but, but really interesting. So um, there's a various ways we're, we're now using technology that we haven't, and, and um, we were looking at it and we're, not, we're, we're doing it even closer now. Okay, so the, these were things that you obviously considered in the past and now there's been a driving force with the crisis to maybe implement some of these things. Yeah, it's amplified by, you know, everything on the digital side or just because we had to. On, right. on, and, and then we wanted to on the other hand as well, but, but yeah, it, it amplified, definitely. So Kathleen, how about you guys? How involved were you guys? Uh, tech? Not to say as compared to now, because I think we're going to get into that, but what was your experience before Corona? So I mainly work a wildcat in the more cultural creative industries that doesn't necessarily include pop and kind of the really mainstream music industry, but more theater, dance, classical music, jazz, kind of embassy work that kind of combine lots of different disciplines. And we always felt we're quite a young agency, quite large now. We received venture capital last year and are based in London, Berlin, Paris, LA, and New York. And we kind of see quite a lot of different kind of uh, developments in the different cities that we work in. But I would say before the crisis, there was social and digital somewhat was put together as a byproduct to everything else that people were doing, kind of reluctantly having to add it on. And most people saw it more as a burden in additional cost to, to their organization or to their project. Um, and didn't really see the full value of it. So they always felt the live experience or the actual product is worth more. Um, and they were more interested in capturing the, the actual audiences who were coming or who were buying and didn't really see the tech side as kind of a valuable kind of next to the live product. Um, and so we always spend a lot of time educating and working out what is worth it for our clients and which products they should think about, which apps they should work with, which relationships with tech companies they should be investing in, be it social media companies, but also the big, you know, tech giants, etc. So I would say beforehand, it was always the individual artists who've seen quite a lot of value and collaborating or celebrating with a tech company or coming up with their own app or being quite forward thinking on digital side. And I always felt the bigger organizations were the ones who were a bit sluggish about it and kind of not necessarily that excited by tech or quite to be really general. Obviously there are always exceptions, but I would probably say that in my world, that was more the case that an embassy wouldn't really invest on a big tech side for their festival or for their creative uh, cultural element. And so I think beforehand, it was a real mix and the artists were probably the ones who are more digitally savvy and forward thinking while the big organizations were a bit sluggish and behind on that I would say. Okay uh, because Lutz I know for uh, when it comes to United we stream that seems you know that's a product that derived is that correct it's an actual product that came from the crisis itself or is it something you guys had put together okay so what was your status quo um, let's say from your experiences in you know, the Berlin Club Commission and the scene with tech 
and then moving on to creating United Restream? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's something which also has to develop a bit because you always grow with your audience and uh, you also see that club culture is also a bit uh, a counterculture in, in many ways. So if people are more digitalized and online and taking pictures and communicate digitally, that um, the people who go to clubs and to festivals maybe are looking for the opposite. So it's always a thin line also when it comes to sharing data and being anonymous. Uh, a lot of, especially in this crisis, a lot of clubs um, were really concerned about now sharing data of their audience because a lot of people, um, I mean, in Germany, you're probably not as, uh, yeah, in a, in a danger of what happens to your data. But, you know, if you look out, uh, over other, over the borders to other countries where there's also repression towards the LGBTQ communities, etc., I think you have to be very, be very careful as a club culture, what you do with data and, and, and um, how you handle it. My personal background is tech. So I was starting 1999 with an internet startup about nightlife in Germany. We are quite early in that stage. We try to motivate the audience to, to um, generate uh, user-generated content. Um, and, um, and since then, of course, a lot of things developed. But... On the other hand, um, yeah, I think when it comes to make things more efficient, to use it to organize your stuff, to be um, to be a bit more uh, organized internally, I think uh, all kinds of software are helpful. Um, when it comes to reaching out to the audience, of course, there's also a lot of technology involved. Uh, nobody really prints flyers or put up posters anymore. Um, uh, more like if you do it from a, it's more an artistic uh, way of presenting yourself and not really necessarily to reach your audience um, efficiently. Yeah, and then it comes to the whole visualization, uh, digital art in venues at festivals, which is also big growing uh, movement, uh, which also get more and more access to venues. Um, and United We Stream is probably more a solution for a crisis. It's not club culture. It's a TV production. What we do is we are trying to create an, a campaign to reach out to, to a lot of people, show them that behind club culture is art, are people on empty stages in front of empty dance floors and that's what we want to show that's that's, that's our message but if you're there at one of these streams it's actually a very sad situation <laughs> you see you see uh you, see, you know an artist on stage always has to interact with the audience and that's uh, obviously not possible mm -hmm. so um yeah so so for for i think united we stream will have a future as a, a platform a, a global movement we are now in 74 cities we have uh, more than 1,800 artists performed uh, on a digital stage in the last three or four weeks. So it is uh, quite, quite something you probably could not handle in, in the analog world. But uh, yeah, but, but, uh, but I think we also have to be very careful where we use technology um, in this field where people actually want to you know, leave the world behind and, and uh, experience um, individual um, contact. Well, because this panel is really interesting, um, if we take a, a step back, because we're looking at, uh, you know, Leander and Wacken's coming from the festival side, 
um, you know, Kathleen and Wildcat PR is, uh, you know, more the classical artists. Um, and then Lutz kind of has the background of the clubs, especially here in Berlin. So is the consensus amongst the three of you that maybe before Corona, uh, the, the audience was a little bit more hesitant to be open to tech changes? Uh, I think, I don't know, that's hard to, hard to answer. I think in classical music and the cultural sector mm. that we were in, people tend to kind of like to try something quite late on. So streaming took on probably only properly last year in classical music, kind of really on a high level. So I'd probably say people weren't really that keen on technology. They were really keen on the live events and that was it. Um, and didn't really see the technology side of it as a real product as part of experiencing classical music and culture. Um, and that certainly changed. Um, and I think they're generally from a demographic more ones that are a bit slower on, on adapting to that. I'd say on the other hand, the artists in our sector are normally quite young still and very innovative on that side. So you always have a bit slightly that disparity between the audience and their age and what they're interested in and what they want from the experience. And also the artists who are often very young and who are more tech savvy and would like to do more. So I think there's always a bit of a uh, kind of disbalance in that sense. Yeah, I can really say that's the case. Um, actually, we're, we're seeing way more uh, visitors of the of the real event, which is actually streamed uh, into the internet through various platforms, um, up to half a million at a time um, from all around the world, which is just because they're incapable of ever going to Bakken, ever coming, because um, we have huge fan base, South America, India, Asia, um, places like Indonesia, which actually has... Um, the Prime Minister is a huge fan, and, and, and actually they have a, a female metal band down there, which is really popular, and that's something very special for, for Indonesia. And that gives a community like down there uh, a way of participating in something like this, which is, is which otherwise be almost impossible to ever go to. Um, so, and every other way that we've tried um, to, to implement any sort of technology um, was, was, was always well-received. I think it's more of the question if we did it right, if, if, if we used the right ways to do it. If, if, because if you want to do it right and if you want to do an, a good job in implementing something of value, that's very difficult and it's also very expensive. And I, we do see a lot of young artists that use Twitch for, for their program more now than before, but they, they've done this before. And we, we see artists... Um, from around the globe that use their Twitch channel for the music and also for live streaming of um, their gaming, their gaming profession. <laughs> and and there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, things coming together. So I think um, we couldn't really say that there's any hesitation towards technology. It's actually something some, a lot of people enjoy. Other people don't, but that's okay. And that's just how our very diverse world is and it, it should you know we should offer that's how we see life entertainment we should offer anything to the fan like the festivals that we see today and this is not just us but, but every other major festival offers so many various different areas and 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 and, and products to to their fans um that make it a real interesting experience for everybody and 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 really the thing is to do it right and to to do some to produce something of value and i think vr is actually something very interesting because it was so big, it was promoted all over 
And really, I don't see a lot of VR around, especially not in life entertainment and anywhere else. Uh, I think there is applications for that, but they're small. And I, I was just going to say, before we get to the looks, because I think it's a really good point uh, to highlight, you know, you have to do it right. And I know, Leanda, that you guys had actually tested VR, right? And what was your, I mean, at that time, what was your guys' learning when you implemented it? Because I feel like that kind of connects to maybe the thread where you were talking about maybe doing it right. Well, our learning from it is, I guess, that uh, you have to do, you know, you have to be quite early. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really make sense to be the last one on the, uh, on the train to, to be implementing some technology that might be good or might be not good just because everybody else is doing it. But I think really it's, it's, if it's good, if it's creating value and if you do it right, as, as if you create an experience for somebody that, for example, wouldn't be able to experience something because of, a disability or any uh, a distance, you know, or, or any other reason, then there might be a value in it. But, but just, you know, to go to the festival and wear some VR goggles and run around, you, you don't only look stupid, but your experience is not as great as it is, you know, standing at the, at the bar drinking a beer with a couple of buddies. This is something you guys had actually tested at the festival to actually implement the VR at the festival. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, it's it's a while ago, um, and that, that's what that was when 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 VR wasn't that big uh, and it wasn't as widely available. And we've looked at tech, at, at, you know, into VR in various ways, um, looking at how to create value uh, at an affordable price. Um, for example, to those that um, would you know enjoy that sort of experience because of. We were looking at specifically in, in, in terms of dis disabled people with, with an inability to move or see or hear. And there are those uh, goggles today that, that can not only produce a visual, visual image, uh, but also, you know, sound or noise or vibration uh, in order to communicate content. Um, and I think that's very important to look at these things and, and to actually understand what, what value it could create. But if it doesn't really if you're only doing it for the purpose of having VR, that's the wrong approach. Right, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Because we also, I think VR now, obviously, might uh, be more of an acceptable uh, product to be using. Um, as we saw, I guess, Travis Scott, who I don't know very much about, but I guess in the music industry, that was astronomical because they got 27 million viewers. And I think it broke a lot of records. Um, but before we get too far, uh, Lutz, why don't you give us quick your point on the consensus to whether or not people, uh, even in the club scene in Berlin, were hesitant um, to tech a little bit before Corona? Because I think what I'd like to address is that there is a huge culture change and shift, and then we can move on to the, the, the opportunities that are being offered now. Yeah, I can relate what, uh, to what Leander said. I, I think it is important that uh, you create value and you also explain to the audience what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, I remember there was a big discussion about tracking wristbands uh, at some festivals that need, you know, when you first use something like that, that people have a payment system, but cannot really see how much money is on there. Um, and, uh, you know, some people feel like exposed and um, and tracked and everything. So I think it is very important that if you use these these like new technology and you introduce them, and um, even especially if they are mandatory to to the to the audience, I think then you need to have a lot of 
create a lot of awareness and um, um, in case you decide to do it, because I don't think it's always a good idea to do um, everything which is available on a technology side. Um, yeah, I, th I think to be honest, um, the audience is very open towards technology, like digital art, um, all kinds of things to experience uh, visuals, um, um, projections, mappings, all these kinds of things are, are really interesting and, and uh, but also costly in many ways, but that, that is something what the audience really appreciate. Um, and a lot of uh, great artists are popping up everywhere doing this at festivals and in clubs. I, I think it's, it's really, you know, we're talking in the club scene, we're talking about communities, we're talking about uh, people identify with, with club culture, with the people who are running this. And so there needs to be a lot of awareness what you're doing and why you're doing it and explaining it. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, or if you're just doing it because it's more efficient, something like that. Um, but um, I also know some festival organizers, um, not in the League of Wacken, of course, more like small organizers, who really have a very small staff and they are really well organized with um, their own kind of software set um, to manage, you know, all kinds of forms and, uh, uh, and um, yeah, crowd management, organizing your staff, um, being really, really efficient with that. Um, and, um, and, and I'm really, I'm really impressed by seeing this uh, while other festivals in the same size have a big staff and they can do it with a lot fewer people. Um, and of course, that money you can then spend more on, on site and invest it in, in the experience. So, yeah, I think skepticism is always good. We shouldn't be too, we shouldn't be too happy about all the, the um, technology that people want to implement. Um, but I definitely agree uh, with Leander. I, I think if our audience is also used to a lot of um, high level technology and if you do something and it doesn't really work or you have this, this kind of VR experience which is not as close as you have already in your living room, so why, you know, why using it, why doing it, experience it live. Right. So now that we talked uh, pre-corona, now let's get to the really exciting part of in Corona, um, why don't we, and I think we could just make the round and, and if you have any numbers, that'd be great or just like the stories, but tell us how many, who was affected in your case, you know, if someone isn't familiar with your part of the industry, um, you know, tell us how many or who was affected and then what was your guys's you know, automatic, this is what, this is our solution. Like, this is what we have to do. Maybe we can start with Vakken uh, uh, because I know Leander has uh, a very nice uh, message on his back. Uh, I don't know if I have a nice message, but um, well, it affected everybody. In the life entertainment industry, everybody was affected globally. I don't think we've ever seen something like that before. Like one industry that was shut down immediate, you know, instantly at the same time. Uh, that's very difficult for, for everybody involved, like the artists, the, the promoters, agencies, um, all of the suppliers. I mean, we forget, we forget about those guys building the stages, you know, and putting up fences. And they have no job in the summer. And definitely the year is gone. Um, we, we, figured that, we figured this out pretty early in the, in the game and, um, and thought about, well, what can we do? You know, and it's, it's maybe time to give something back in times where, where nobody can really do anything. And we put a team together 
that work with high pressure on a, on a solution. And, and actually, we've created a digital event while everybody else was creating digital events. And we thought, this is still a great idea. And what, what, are, what are we going to do different? So we put together, and we wanted to, this to be global. And uh, you can see this is uh, back in worldwide. We created, we did not only create a new logo. Uh, it's at the same event dates uh, that the back in open air would usually be on. It's called uh, the www back in worldwide, and it will be live streaming with our partner, um, and it will be implemented. We've actually created a new app, which is in testing right now, and it's already been confirmed by the big platforms. It will go live within, I think, the next couple of 24, 48 hours. Um, It'll be free. Uh, The entire content will be free. And there will be loads of bands from all around the globe playing in various locations in the world, which I'm not allowed to say. I I think there's um, a couple in Los Angeles and in old old school clubs. Uh, there's some in, from a cave, some from like local places, really all around the globe. Um, and then we were trying to think about how to match this with the actually the, the fan experience. And we wanted to give those guys a base too, because nobody can come to Vakken. We really don't want anybody to come to Vakken because there'll be nothing on it. It'll be just, just, you know, not a good experience for nobody. Uh, so we're, we're coming to the fans and actually we've created the chat platform. We integrated into the app, uh, which is specifically created for this event. Fans will have an option to create their own ID, which will in the future, will see many more options. I think that'll be, that's, that's great. Be early, be sign up for the, for the ID. And actually we're, you know, we've asked our, the fans to create camps, fan camps around the globe that can actually stream as well into the platform. And we can have fans from Japan interact with fans in, in, in Jakarta or Costa Rica. And so they're working very hard to put in these fan camps together. We have peer camps as well. We'll do our own things. And we have XR studios, which produce XR content, which is currently not, has not been used in live entertainment before. Um, there'll be very many ways, and, and Lutz was actually referring to this because we've seen so many artists playing on empty stages in their, in, you know, in their living rooms or anywhere else. It'll be, it's, it's, it's a pretty sorry experience, um, which is still great, but we've seen too much of that. So we, fig- we thought about what can, what can we do? What, what, what's the difference? What can we offer? And actually, uh, we figured that that is, is, is something we want to do. And actually, we want to use tech to create value and to create something with the artists in times where they cannot interact with the fans, give them a way to interact with their fans. And to give the fans that cannot interact with everybody else, because that is one of the main experience at a festival or at a concert or anywhere else in public where you know people gather for a life entertainment experience, to give them a way of interacting in times where it's not possible. And um, yeah, we're, we're very excited about this. Um, like I said, the app will go online. It'll be uh, through the website. Uh, there'll be a stream as well. Um, but but uh, it's free. Um, and I think it's something to give back in times where, you know, nobody has, a, you know, like a lot of suppliers, a lot of artists have no jobs. And actually, we created a way of hiring a lot of people to produce this from tech studios to to actual putting up a stage in a in a studio to film it from the suppliers to the artists, to the fans. Um, and I think it's a very sound setting. Uh, and if that is what we expect, you know, expected to be, 
I think we, we in the future we can we can see more of this actually even in, in in you know parallel to a physical event, and to make this something that lasts because it is a huge investment. And, it, and it, as I said before, technology if you do it right is very expensive, um, and we're really looking forward to you know moving faster in that direction and to create something that's even better year after year. And I think that's uh, definitely going to be something to look forward to. And, and if uh, when we get to Lutz, I'm sure Lutz will be able to give us some insights as to some of the learnings you might have had with uh, United We Stream and, you know, uh, what that effect must have been like for artists in the audience. But let's go to classical music before we get to the Kathleen. So what mm. you guys and what was the... Uh, the game, like, where did you guys go? In our field. Yeah, I think it went through quite a lot of stages, to be honest. I mean, we have about 40 clients on our books and also the different countries reacted differently at different times. So Germany and the UK felt quite similar uh, and, and the US and other territories felt very different on how things developed there. But I think it first of all started that every bigger organization, a lot of them are state subsidized, meaning they're not immediately massively worried about money or the audience income that they need. So a lot of orchestras we work with or embassies, etc., they have, you know, state funding and classical music very often is not actually about the audience numbers. So it's a minus making, loss making business very often anyway. They pay more than they should be for a lot of artists or projects. And, and so that was an interesting development because it wasn't this panic that was maybe more in other industries and the big commercial festivals about shit, we've lost all our money and all our income stream because um, the mass and classical music and culture often are related around donors and fundraising and foundations who pay a big chunk anyway. So a lot of the big organizations, the first couple of months just threw the entire archive online, made everything free and said, look here, we're streaming and look at all our online activities and everything that we've got and all our old concerts and blah, blah, blah. And there was almost like a crazy competition on how much you could put online and what you want to watch and, you know, free at the Met and free here and check that out and da, da, da. And it got a bit like an overflow of, you know, content that you could consume for free and no one really knew where to go, what to do. Um, I think the biggest kind of uh, sacrifice was for the individual artists, people who are players or orchestra players or individual quartet players or artists who are freelancers because they have the entire income around um, the live sector. So I heard from a friend who's a cellist and a quartet, she normally earns about 30 to 40,000 euros a year and she got state subsidy of 2,000 for the entire year. So that's kind of, they are the ones who really they didn't really get caught in any of the big programs or any of the big kind of state programs that supported businesses and supported big venues or, you know, the, the different elements. They really fall between the cracks of being self-employed. So I think the first stage was in panic and in, in an infiltration of a lot of free stuff uh, where everyone could. The second stage is kind of developing now. So there's a lot of new ideas coming through, like the Pierre Boulez are in Berlin, for example, just made up a new festival of new music exclusively online with 
they are using empty concert halls to produce the music and then putting it online. There are people who are trying out different models of paying for live events online. So you basically pay as much as you can afford or you want to, to go online. So there are kind of different ideas coming through slowly. And in my sector, I had to laugh early on when you said about Twitch, for example, because everyone's like, what's Twitch? Can we use it? Can we use it? You know, and it was kind of more about shit, let's try all the new platforms and see which ones work fast. And it was really, kind of more mad rush of suddenly digital is really important and do we have an app and let's develop a website and it was kind of more a bit of a panic in that sense um, and I find the artists are the ones who suffered the most in this time because yes they're the most innovative and creative but actually there's not really anywhere to go for them or to kind of apply for funding it's suddenly become all the entire business model somewhat crumbling while a lot of the organizations are somewhat you know, nurtured by the state anyway, so that they have a different, um, they're just trying to prove their case or cause. We're not, okay, we're not. Oh, good, <laughs> no, well, but in classical music, a lot is, you know, and that's yeah. why they have a different business model to prove right now on how do we actually reach people and how can we do what we're doing normally as an organization uh, with physical presence online. And I think a lot of them suddenly have a lot of question marks and a lot of, um, you know, only 10 people wanting to watch their live streams. So really what is their reach and should they have two million in state funding, for example. So there's an interesting kind of development going on and technology is becoming uh, suddenly a necessity. So a lot of, uh, we've actually had a really big upturn of new clients and new projects come our way and people wanting to build apps and wanting to be innovative and create new ideas because people suddenly need to invest in that side who probably before and weren't that keen. So it's been a mixture. I'd say the artists are the ones who are looking forward to some element of live business coming back because they need to be booked to actually have uh, work and, and clients. And we had a lot who also used, you know, the Kickstarter element or some sort of patron platform where you could subscribe to them on a monthly basis and they would create content for you, et cetera. But that's not a long-term viable business model for them as well. So the issues may even in the length as well, that because it's going on for such a long time, they're really struggling to find their place and actually make a revenue out of it. While organizations have a different, I think, uh, objective with it. Well, what a, what a great way to go to Lutz because as a contrast, um, a lot of the, the, the ones that you're representing are not state funded. Um, so why, Lutz, why don't you go ahead and tell us what happened in Berlin when Corona hit? And obviously, you know, then we go into United We Stream. Yeah, maybe to, to uh, refer to Kathleen uh, just a second, because, um, you know, w one of the reasons why also artists are suffering is because we are still a third world country when it comes to royalties and how these going to be distributed. Um, and the reason why people use Twitch is because it works or it used to work uh, for a time that it doesn't break up the stream like it does at Facebook. So. I mean, the, the, we really have to transform the industry and also think about uh, revenue streams for artists and, uh, and not just find an, the next illegal platform to present them. At United We Stream, we, we try to shift around this topic a bit by involving Arte Concert. It's a public TV station, European-wide. They have all the uh, contracts with the royalty organizations. So by streaming through them and using their contracts, we kind of moved around a bit on this topic, but still um, it is something which we're um, discussing and we, al we also don't have an answer yet because the royalty organizations uh, doesn't really have one as well. 
Well, the, when, when we had the, the shutdown uh, on uh, March the 13th, it, that was the initial point that we said we have to create something what is once uh, a donation platform or a crowdfunding platform to, to get some, uh, some funding that makes us a bit independent from uh, government money that, of course, we also needed. But in that moment, it was more like, oh, my God, we need something to be um, to kind of react um, on, on the situation. And to combine this with streaming and with showing empty clubs, I think was a good move, especially because we were very fast. We launched the platform five days later and had already a stream lined up with the first 10, 15 clubs. Um, and... Um, and that was only possible because we had a network like the club commission, which is representing 300 clubs and promoters in the city and does it, doing this advocacy work since uh, now 20 years. And then you have enough trust, you have the connections, you know the people. And this was, you know, in some in a few days that we get all these puzzle pieces together um, and, uh, and launched um, a few days later. Um, yeah, and then it took off. I mean, it, it was a success. We were probably one of the first who, who, who did it. And then other cities and countries adapted the model and joined this kind of open source project. It's not technologically open source, but it is uh, the idea of um, creating kind of a, a brand that everybody can use to create an, an own digital audience uh, and uh, make partnerships and everything. That, that is something which, which we want to enable people. And United We Stream also means that in some cities and uh, countries where the scene is also very competitive and not really friendly to each other, this is also a way of uniting them and bringing them together on one digital platform, uh, asking the audience for support and small venues support, uh, get support of the bigger ones. And we also decided that 8% of our income will go to a social cause. And so we also um, have now, I think, in total uh, 50,000 euros uh, that, we, that we can also donate um, to the civil sea rescue, which, because we thought it's also important that we also look outside of our own bubble, you know, who is suffering even more and also create attention because that is always the... the um, the risk in such a big crisis that the poorest of the poor don't get any attention anymore. So that was a very important part for us too. So in total, we now collected 550,000 euros in Berlin and then globally, I think 1.5 million euros. Um, it doesn't save the club scene, you know, not to be understood incorrectly because we need about 10 million just in Berlin every month to make, to, to, to you know, to pay uh, our, 9,000 people who work for the clubs and, and pay rents and everything, but um, not even calculated the, the many booking agencies, festival organizers, artists who are not employed, of course. Uh, these, these are all these costs which are not even included. So it is a, it's a, it's a big challenge. And um, uh, we are happy that, uh, that, that our lobby work, the work that we are advocating for the scene in the last year really worked in this crisis. Um, we, we now got access to a lot of cultural programs of the federal and, um, and um, state uh, support packages or emergency packages. Um, that means that we really can, can, ha can have access um, to not just economies uh, uh, support, but also cultural support um, packages. So yeah, that's the situation. <laughs> now, now we are in month number, what is it, four? 
we didn't we didn't lose a club yet. We we unfortunately lost one or two venues, uh, like a, a bar closed down, which also had some DJ bookings and uh, and a tango loft. Um, but we are you know we are constantly in a juggling situation, uh, doing surveys to our um, stakeholders and and look and look into their liquidity and that we can mirror this to the politicians um yeah how long we survive yeah and uh i mean i know we in berlin and, and germany we applaud you for being able to react so quickly one question uh in terms of learning a big pain, pain point when you guys were scaling when you had to scale so quickly what's the one thing that you learned in that process that you could think back on well you know, if you have a certain idea about a project, um, the faster you're scaling, the less information is is uh, received is received at the end of the of the line. So, uh, for instance, when it comes to the programming, we were very much into authenticity and into originality, and also, of course, we have our own awareness manifesto where we say we want at least fifty percent uh, female bookings. We didn't get quite uh, reach that in Berlin, but we we have uh, almost forty percent now, which I think is also very remarkable. And you know, and then if you if a if a if a one of the platforms, let's say in in a Spanish country or in a Spanish city or in a in a in a Eastern European city where they don't have so many females as artists, um, has only male lineups. That's something where we also get internal discussions very fast. So we also have to learn that this is a very important part because otherwise we get it backslashed. Uh, so the soft factors, the soft, um, the glue basically of this project also needs to be very much uh, being cared of and not just the technology and uh, scaling part. I think uh, everyone can probably uh, agree on that point. Um, what, I, what I heard out of this was um, when it comes to revenue for artists, there still needs to, there's still no answer for that yet. So if there's anyone out there that wants to collaborate or has any ideas, I think that seems to be a really big pain point regardless of where you are in the, in the music industry. So that's something um, uh, for, for anyone in the audience, if you know, to, to think of um, and one other question that I that I that we had was have any of you guys thought about or know of technologies that might be used once people can meet again to make sure that uh, the risks are lowered for the virus to spread if people were to be able to meet in a physical space. Um, someone in, had mentioned uh, some air filtration or how could you keep people if they meet or what technologies might there be have you guys heard of anything that people are working on in order to allow people to come together physically again um we, we have wor working groups which are specialized in this and we're talking to a lot of um app developers um but also ventilating companies and uh, even some some um chemistry <laughs> that you can sp spread like uh, kind of hygiene uh, sprays. I, I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of hocus pocus out there. Uh, I'm not really sure if all of that works. I think the most important part is social distancing, as we learned in the last month. Nobody, no one of us is a virologist, so we always always have to learn day by day 
uh, what is what can what can is actually possible and not. In our case, we're focusing right now on everything which is outside of buildings because we see that venues that are closed, that are maybe a bit splattered, I don't know, smaller rooms everywhere, uh, not as good ventilated, that this can create this kind of petri dish that you that you kind of spread the virus in a few hours very easily um, and uh, and so so for us it's 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 right now a focus on open air we want to use the Berlin summer as good as possible um, for everybody who's interested in this topic we just um, released today um, a paper which is an international col collaboration with Harvard University Fraunhofer Institute and other um, scholars published on nighttime.org. And it's a, it's a free paper to download and it's focusing right on this, what can we do in this crisis to use public space, open air, uh, better efficiently um, and, um, and also start a discussion on, on, on the technology side, uh, which is out there, but maybe also needs to be tested. But maybe Leander can, can relate to that a bit better as a <clears throat> practitioner. Yeah, we're, I mean, we do a lot of shows in, in, in venues as well. So I think every responsible promoter will, will think about ways of, of handling the situation next year and, and whatever, you know, we're back to life entertainment in the way we used, used to experience it. It's not as simple. I think technology will maybe help us, but that's really not what's going to be the game changer. The game changer will be we have to come back to life entertainment without social distancing because there is really, to be honest, there's no way producing an event with a meter and a half or two meters away from each other. You're not going to fit enough people into a venue or any open air scenario. It's just not going to be profitable. And that's the bitter truth, to be honest. Um, so what are the ways of, of making it safer? I think indoor venues will have a ventilation problem, as you mentioned, stuff like that. But it's really, there's ways of, of figuring it out to cope with that. And I think that's something that everybody has to do now. Now is the time to do it. If you don't do it now, you'll, it'll be too late. It'll be definitely be too late. We'll see a run on, on I think, uh, regulation next year. And then everybody will adapt it, even if it's not helpful at all. So I think a helpful discussion is with the authorities, the local authorities on state level, um, on a federal level. On, on a regional level to, to, to figure out how to operate your venues, your, your open air scenarios, whatever it is, um, to make it as safe as possible. Um, for us, that, that, that we've already you know, implemented that, that uh, communication months ago. And I think we're, we're pretty far, you know, pretty good with everybody and, 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 and figuring it out what we can do. But uh, really we have to come back to, to what we knew in, as in, as in, as in, 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 the, in the distance, because there's just not going to be a way of having an event with, with any distance measure. Um, technology might be helpful, but on the other hand, we don't really see anything right now because no app will ever, ever help you. Um, that's a data, you know, that's a data policy. Um, I think it's, it's, it's more of the, of the physical measures and, 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 and the responsible organization of what will help you and that your, your technology as in, you know, engineered infrastructure will help you and, and measures like, you know, more opportunities to wash your hands, more sanitization opportunities, uh, more ventilation in indoor venues, um, 
better queuing and maybe even wearing a mask because that's what a lot of outdoor venues see in the summer when it's dusty. And we've had the last two summers were really dry and a lot of festivals were handing out face masks to protect you from dust coming in. Now, we're, you know, that works the other way around. And, and that is something that's sensible and that we can do or and we can limit that to certain areas and we can educate everybody. And I think we if, if, if a broader um, alliance will will communicate that we're even in, in even better shape. But what's not going to work is is some idea of of creating an event where you know you use the same amount of space for a third amount of people and ask them to sit on sit away from each other and 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 do something as crazy as that. Um, really, um, technology maybe looking for it. Haven't seen anything. Um, let me know. All right, Kathleen, maybe some insights from your side. Maybe you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, I think uh, they've both said it really well. There's not really much at the moment that gives hope to the idea of technology overtaking the actual live event, at least on the big side. I think in classical music and culture, because a lot of them are only a group of two or four artists and the audiences are much smaller sometimes. So we fit in maybe 50 people and they are finding different ways of making that happen at the moment outdoors and kind of socially distanced. And in Germany, the government is kind of loosening. So indoor events up to 500 people are going to be happening now. And, you know, there are things happening, but it's still scratching the surface, especially for the big organizers really on, on the revenue streams and the income streams. So, you know, sadly no magic portion at the moment in tech for that one. Well, literally the magic potion, I think, as Lutz also wrote in, it would be a vaccine. So let's all be hopeful for that. And as we wrap this up, I would like to give the panelists one, one, one last question for you to think about as I'm wrapping this up. Think about what your most favorite music gadget is that you ever had. Um, I'll give you like a minute for it. While I'm wrapping up, I want to thank our audience for being part um, and that you get to see the part one of our music and tech that we had with Matthias Schrobe from Music Tech Germany. It's on YouTube. We will go ahead and start with the ladies for it first. Kathleen? Um, I am decidedly uncool. I think I'm old school. I still love Spotify. I'm a big fan. Can't change it. It's one of my things. I just find all my new music there. I love the Discovery Weekly. I'm very big on them. Can't change it. And I would say probably the biggest one for me in terms of physical things that's happened is Alexa. I use Alexa a lot. She talks to me. She's friendly to me. <laughs> all right. On <Thank> music. <laughs> and yeah. I give Leander the, the first. I have to read really think okay, first yeah, uh, I was gonna say the same thing as Kat the little app from Sweden is really good oh wow <laughs> I cannot be more creative I think um, no I think technology is a very important part of, uh, of my daily life um, and, um, and 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 uh, but I but what I also re realized uh, that I think 99% of the apps I have on my phone I just used once so <laughs> So I just probably have to look at, at these mentioned uh, WhatsApps and Spotify's and uh, Skypes and all these kind of technologies that I'm, I'm using basically day on day. And that's probably a, tr a very, probably boring, but a true answer. All right. I was surprised no one mentioned the thousand songs in your pocket. I think that was very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to thank so you all for part of this really great um, panel. And uh, with that, 
wishing you all good luck, especially uh, Leanda with the event that you guys have coming up. And we look forward to uh, hearing more about what the industry is going to continue to do as we all miss it very dearly. So thank you for all your insights and your knowledge and uh, take care. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Anna. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thank Bye. you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That was a wrap here for us at the World Changers in Tech headquarters. Make sure you find us at our webpage, www.german.tech, and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and receive exclusive invites to all our event formats. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Big thank you from the World Changers in Tech team here at German Tech where we strive to inspire, build, and grow digital ecosystems for a sustainable future. Continue on on our SDGs and we're all changers in tech and tune in soon.